You're listening to Nutrition Matters Podcast with Paige Smathers, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Nutrition Matters Podcast explores how to approach food and your body in a whole new way. I interview people who share stories and expertise in rejecting diet culture, making peace with food, and discovering a more positive, realistic, and sustainable approach to health and well-being. I'm Paige Smathers, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist and owner of Positive Nutrition, an in-person nutrition therapy practice in Salt Lake City, Utah. I offer free resources, including this podcast, a blog, and posts on social media. If you're local to Salt Lake City, check out our services and availability for appointments and keep your eyes out for in-person groups on mindfulness, intuitive eating, body image resilience, and more. Go to positive-nutrition.com and hit subscribe if you'd like to keep in touch. I also offer online courses covering topics like the science of nutrition, mindfulness, and healing your relationship with food. Check those out at positive-nutrition.com slash academy. If you like what you hear on the podcast, you can make a difference by leaving a review, sharing with friends and family, or making a donation. Thank you so much for your support. You can also find me on Instagram or Facebook if you'd like to have a little more food for thought at Paige Smathers RD. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nutrition Matters Podcast. My name is Paige, and I'm your host, and I'm really excited to connect with you. So just a couple words about this podcast episode. Um, The audio got a little bit funky. I had to do a little something tricky to edit it today. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to edit out some of the echoing that you might hear Um, But be gentle with me. I do this all as a labor of love. (laughs) And uh, it's not always, it doesn't always come out perfect, but that's okay. We're practicing just being comfortable with that. So there is a little bit of echoing throughout, but it's not too bad. Um, So just keep that in mind. But the more important thing I wanted to mention is just uh, I had the best time talking with Christina Johnson about this really important topic of kind of intentionally diversifying who you spend time with and who you learn from and who you see. And I just really loved her thoughts on this. So we're talking about diversifying who we learn from and who we engage with on on a friendship level or even on a learning from about intuitive eating level, uh, whether it's online or in person. And so we're talking, that's kind of the main theme of what we talked about. But we we talk about this idea of uh, kind of how to how to make the effort to kind of find that incompatibility like huh we don't see things eye to eye on this or you represent you know you have a different background than I do or you come from a different socioeconomic class than I do how can I how can I learn from you how can I not make every single person in my world and in my circles um, exactly the same as me and so I really loved this. I, I thought that this was a really fun topic. And then we do tie it into how this relates to our own journeys with food and our relationships with our bodies and food. And I just loved having this conversation with Christina. So um, one more quick announcement. Just always want to kind of every, keep everyone familiar with what I have to offer Um, This podcast is a free resource that I just put out there, that I put out there every other week. So just in case you're new to Nutrition Matters podcast, I do release an episode every other week. I have lots and lots of episodes in the backlog, so feel free to check those out as well. And then I do have a Positive Nutrition Academy, which is where I house online trainings. I have shorter trainings called webinars and then longer trainings called online courses. And there's quite a few available through the Positive Nutrition Academy at this point. And if you're looking for resources in how to teach and teach intuitive eating or raise intuitive eating kids, kids who are connected to their bodies and to uh, to food in a positive, healthy way, I have a course about that. If you're looking for how to heal your relationship with food, got a course about that. If you're interested in the science of nutrition and kind of challenging fad diets and the crazy things that are out there about fad diets, I have a course that dives deep into the science of nutrition called Positive Nutrition 101. Then I have lots of shorter trainings, some about meal planning, um, some trainings about um, what is intuitive eating, kind of if you you need some basics and understanding kind of what it is on 
on a more basic level. I have some trainings about that as well. So check it out. Just go to positive-nutrition.com slash academy or click the link in um, the show notes. Now just a quick word. I've, I have had some people reach out kind of feeling really angry that i talk about some things that I offer on the podcast. And, you know, honestly, that's totally your prerogative. Um, I have to say, I do not get rich off of these courses and trainings. (laughs) It's not a significant source of my income, but it is a really nice way to provide great nutrition education that I provide in person in my physical location, my physical nutrition practice in Salt Lake City. It's a great way to provide those same services um, to people who might be in a place where they don't have access to uh, a registered dietitian, or maybe you feel more comfortable doing some of these things online instead of the in-person, or maybe you just need some help with meal planning and you don't really need all the, the full assessment and all the stuff that comes along with a, with a whole appointment. So, you know, I, I mention it just to put it out there, not necessarily to be overly self-promoting, but it is, you know, part of what I'm offering here is a free resource. And so I like people who are interested in this stuff to just kind of know what else is out there and what else I offer. So that's the purpose of providing a little bit of, of promotion in the beginning of these podcast episodes is just to help you know what else you can access that I offer. And then I also take time in each podcast episode to let you know what my guest offers as well, because so many of the guests that I have had on are just provide phenomenal resources as well. And I want you to know about those um, because different people, different voices, different approaches, different expertise will um, help different people. So that's why I take some time in the minute in the beginning to talk about what I offer and what my guests offer. All right, with that, let's get into talking with Christina Johnson all about this idea of how we can be more intentional about diversifying who we learn from both online and in person. Hi, Christina. Welcome to Nutrition Matters Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me today on your day off. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm glad I woke up for this. <laughs> I'm glad you did too. So talk a little bit about who you are and what you do professionally and why I mentioned that it is your day off and why that's important in context of our conversation today. Yes. So I, as she mentioned, I'm Christina. I'm a registered dietitian here in Dallas, Texas. And it's my day off because I have three jobs. I work full time as a food service supervisor. So I just worked the weekend. Um, That's two 14 hour shifts in two days. And then I also have a private practice, which is my baby. That's my passion. And then I also work outpatient in um, brain rehab. So anyone that's had a stroke or some sort of traumatic brain injury, the rehab that occurs in their house once they leave um, acute care. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. So three jobs. So a day off is a precious thing for you. It's very relaxing. (laughs) Well, thank you for taking the time to join us on your day off. That's so, so, so kind of you. And I'm really excited to chat with you about, about this topic that's so near and dear to your heart. So talk a little bit about, before we dive into that, maybe just kind of explain the context of why you became a dietitian, why that, like, that's, why that interested you? How did you know you wanted to do it? What do you love about it? Kind of just share with us your professional approach. Yes. So I became a dietitian because I have a lot of family members with chronic illness. Um, And for those listening, I am a black female. And so I guess um, there's a lot of uh, statistics that will say that black people oftentimes have a higher incidence of chronic illness or more likely to develop a chronic illness without taking into context the environment around them. It's just sort of blaming the person for why they developed the chronic illness. And so a lot of my family members all had to go to dietitians at some point, be it their renal disease, their diabetes, their heart disease. And so they all go to dietitians that don't look like them. And it became this kind of revolving conversation of this person told me I need to stop eating this thing that I really enjoy. And so I was like, okay, well, I like food and I wanted to be a doctor, but then I realized I wanted to start my career before 30. So I was like, I'll just <laughs> yeah. that And so it's been this really interesting journey of like figuring out how I want to practice because I had a crisis in the middle of grad school where I was like, oh my gosh, if I have to go into this sort of weight normative thing, like I don't think I can become a dietitian because I just, I can't do this. I can't do this. So finding intuitive eating and finding the Hayes community has been like 
the sort of catalyst of me feeling like, oh no, not only can I be a dietitian, I can be a dietitian that actually makes an impact and can really go back into my own community and be like, hey, you don't have to give up that thing that you really love. You can you can enjoy that in the context of whatever you have going on. It's just knowing how to manage that and your whatever disease state you're living with. Mm, that's so cool. So when did you discover intuitive eating and health at every size? I think it was towards the end of my undergraduate year. So about, mm, oh gosh, like four years ago. Okay. And <laughs> that, so... That made me like, feel a little bit old because it's been so long since I've been in college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so in other words, you were experiencing this this place of like, oh no, I don't want to become the same type of dietitian that my family saw. That then was coming coming from this like restrictive place of like, you can't eat that. That's a bad food. That's a good food. And and you found this way to sort of integrate your expertise in nutrition into sort of the context of culture and environment and family and values and things that are broad, more more broad than just what we put into our bodies. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's what I'm hearing is that's just felt like a good balance for you of like kind of being able to promote health, but in a way that's not going to kind of create more of a distance between, you know, people and their food kind of thing. Yeah, well, because we don't occur in a vacuum. What we no. eat doesn't occur in a vacuum. And so it's being able to combine all of those things that you said and sort of come up with a plan that's very individualized. Because that's the whole point of having a dietitian is individualized care. So the least that I could do as your dietitian is actually give you individualized care. That really comes into play of like, what does your family life look like? Because it's really tough to tell someone, hey, you can never have that again. And then they go home to their family and their family all gets to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's not fair. And so it's finding that sort of balancing point of like, here's all the things that affect you, whether this person lives in a more rural environment or if they live in an urban environment where grocery stores don't necessarily have the same um, foods available or knowing that maybe their illness has caused them to live with a disability to the point that they can no longer like work a full-time job and their access financially changes completely. And so it's knowing, and I I say this with a lot of experience, knowing I've watched a family member live this. Mm -hmm. And so how they afford groceries is so different than how you or I afford groceries where we go to the grocery store and we have a budget, but it's not like I literally only have $20. Right. Right. Oh, and you know, what you said about, you know, people's dietitians not looking like them, I could just imagine that someone's dietitian who's saying you can't ever eat this really important food to you anymore is, you know, really difficult for that person here. Plus, if you add on top of that sort of that discomfort in, in sort of, are there, are we even like meeting on the same level? Like, she doesn't understand me. She doesn't understand what's important to me. And so having a dietitian that even just appears like you, it can be a really important part of delivering that individualized care, wouldn't you say? Yes. I I remember the first time I like met a black dietitian in person and it was like, oh my gosh, we exist. Yes. And it, like, it gave me everything to keep going. Because for a while I was like, do they even exist? And I say this knowing that I live in a pretty metropolis city. I live in Dallas. Sure. Even here, there's still not that many of us. I think currently of all the registered dietitians in the United States, of the over 100,000 of them, like around 3% have identified as black. Wow. So statistically speaking, that's what, 3,000? Yeah, that's not a lot. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Don't ask me to do math on the spot, but yes, that sounds right. <laughs> so like, that's, that's not a lot when you think about how many Americans there are. Right. Absolutely. I've, I mean, I've experienced that in my own practice when I have a client who um, I can tell there's a level of discomfort because I don't look like them. And, you know, they don't know right away how, how much awareness I have or what, what work I've done to kind of challenge my own internalized bias and stigma and all of that stuff. But at the same time, I have so much empathy for how difficult it is to move through the world. Kind of like, okay, I want to, I want to promote my health and well-being, but I want someone who gets me and who understands where I'm coming from. So, I think that that's a really important part of what you said, and I'm so glad that you're speaking out and in more ways than one. Just with you have your practice, you also have a podcast. Talk a little bit about what you do with the podcast. That is, it's becoming more of a stream of consciousness, but it's very much, it's intuitive eating based and very haze based health at every size, but it's just conversations about how culture affects food. And mine 
well, as a black person, obviously comes from my own blackness, but it's the conversation around, okay, so you have this, I, this need to eat food. We all need to eat food in order to keep living, but how does everything around you impact that? How does where you live impact that? How does what you, how much you make impact that your knowledge level, how does your, uh, disease state or lack thereof impact that in the conversations that ensue from that, whether it's, Hey, I understand, um, and sometimes even body image of like what it's like to be a black person and exist in a, in a, in an environment where whiteness is such this like coveted thing and where this beauty standard, if you Google beautiful woman, is going to give you a white woman. Like, how do you conceptualize my own beauty when if I Google beautiful woman, I don't even come up. Mm, yeah, that is such a good point And so problematic. Again, like you were saying earlier, like think of, the just, I mean, people who listen to this podcast are not just Americans. So I don't want to make this super American centric, but mm -hmm. thinking of the United States, like we're a really diverse country. Why, what's, what is up with that? Why would you Google that and only see white people come up? That's problematic. And so it's, it's those conversations of like, how do you cultivate your own beautifulness? How do you cultivate that? Whether you're black or Hispanic or South Asian or wherever you're from in the world, like how do you cultivate your own standard of beauty that isn't reliant on your body size? Mm, I love that. So yeah, so you're working in so many different ways to promote what you're passionate about and what you're excited about. And I love everything you're saying so far. It's so, it's so important. Tell, talk about this topic that we wanted to sort of uh, it, uh, what's the word? This topic that we wanted to focus on today in our conversation, this topic of um, diversifying your learning circle. When I when I reached out to you, I've really loved following your your work, and I love your voice, and I love what you're doing. And I kind of reached out saying, "What do you What do you like to talk about?" And you mentioned you like this topic of diversifying your learning circle. So talk about what that means to you a little bit. Thank you. I appreciate that you, um, one, found me on the internet because it's a it's a big internet out there. It is. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and then, two, that you appreciate what I do. Um, and so when I think of diversifying your learning circle, I am talking about the people that you learn from, yes, on the internet, but more importantly, the people in your real life. And those are the people that you, you can, like, reach out and touch and that you do life with over the course of a period of time. Because... While in some aspect I do life with the people I'm on the internet with, it's very different than the late night conversations that you have with a friend over hot chocolate or something. Um, and how that impacts your ability to empathize with other people and your ability to see the world from someone else's perspective. Because the the experiences that I've had with people in my real life have uh, informed, I guess you could say, the the decisions that I make and the ways that I practice. Having lived experience, not necessarily my own, but from my family members and the experiences they had just in healthcare in general, but with their dietitians and how that impacted their food choices or didn't impact their food choices if they didn't feel respected in the appointment. Um, or the time that I've spent in food banks and seeing people who live completely different than I do and how that informs like, oh, wait a minute, I can't assume everyone has the exact same access and really seeing how they're navigating life and how I can bring that to other people but I can't be that person that brings it to you. Like you have to go out and find that for yourself. And so I say, it's not a checkbox of like, I need to check off like, Oh, I have a friend in this category. I have a friend in that category, but more of do my friends all look like me? Do they all make the same amount of money as me or a relative amount? Are we all doing the same things? Are we all parents? Are we all um, heteronormative? Are we all whatever sort of category you can find yourself in? And then if all of my friends are sort of doing the exact same thing, we look the same, it's time for new friends. Does it mean get rid of your old friends? It just means bring some new people in. People that don't look the same as you, aren't living the same as you, maybe have different goals in life, different aspirations, but what can you, how can you love them and have them love you back in a way that changes your life and changes the way that you see the world in a positive light? Wow. So much good stuff there. So let me just pull out some themes and maybe we can kind of dig into each one. Does that sound good? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I loved what you said about you know, on the online space versus the in-person space, like trying to diversify your learning circle in both of those. And I think that that is a really important theme that I want to dig into. You also mentioned access to food. And I would be really interested to hear your thoughts on maybe where you think intuitive eating or health at every size, the communities there could do better in terms of our conversations about 
um, accessibility or, or, you know, how much access each of us might have on a spectrum to, to food and how can we be more sensitive and aware of socioeconomic status, or like you said, showing up to the grocery store with only $20, how do we make our conversations more helpful for someone who might find themselves in that situation? Um, And then the other thing I would love to, to dive into is when you said, you know, if all your friends, if you look around at all your friends and they all look like you and make the same amount of money as you and think the same way you do, it's time for new friends. I'd be really interested to hear more about what you think on a practical level, like how can people do that? What does that look like on a practical level? How do you um, increase your learning circle in person? So does that sound good? If we could kind of dive into those? Let's do it. Okay. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start with the first one. Okay. So the in-person versus the online space. Talk about kind of what you mean by like maybe each of those a little bit, like what does it look like to diversify your online community, your online world, and then dive into kind of what that looks like on the in-person level as well. Mm -hmm. If we're speaking specifically from the sort of intuitive eating haze corner of the universe. Sure. Go ahead. I try to make sure that the people that I'm following are not all thin white females. That for me is like the number one of like, if I can find someone that doesn't check all three boxes, man, we're really doing something here. There's a lot of us, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing against you. <laughs> no, Love no, you I, I get it. No, but I like, get it. Your intuitive eating looks so different than my intuitive eating that it's like, okay, well, hold on. If I keep listening to you, like, that's great, but it doesn't, it doesn't go as far because we're not doing the same things mm-hmm. and we're not living in the same uh, environment. And so it's finding people, um, one that I've been having the best time and I can't wait to meet her in a couple weeks. Like I'm literally counting down the days is uh, Ayana... Hab, Hab Tamarium, I think is how you pronounce her last name. She's the Trill RD on, on Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah. And just like, I, we've had phone conversations, like, and this is where I say outside of the internet, like her and I have talked on the phone. We are now friends in real life, IRL. And the conversations that we've had around, hey, we both are like black women and we feel like outsiders in this community. Like, how do we, how are we making our voice known? What are you working on? What am I working on? And sort of navigating that space and then even finding men who talk about intuitive eating or people who are non-gender normative anyone that's not in the binary spectrum or um, people who have a different um, sexual identity there's different tax brackets so obviously most of the people that you're gonna find talking about intuitive eating have a level of privilege and that they can go to the grocery store whenever they feel like it but there are people attempting to talk about how do you do this on a budget because not everybody has uh, discretionary income to just throw out their groceries. Sure. So one thing that you just said there that I'd love to hear more about is you said your intuitive eating, meaning me, I think Mm -hmm. my intuitive eating looks different from your intuitive eating. Tell me what you mean by that and kind of dive into that a little bit. So I can say with reasonable certainty that you and I grew up in different uh, cultures and that yes, we both maybe grew up in America, but I grew up in black America and you did not And so what I eat when I go home with my family may be very different than what you eat. And that's the same for someone who grew up in Georgia versus someone who grew up in Seattle. They're going to eat completely different things. So their intuitive eating sometimes is cultural of like, what am I eating in my locale? What am I eating based on what I grew up with? What am I eating based on the environment around me? Whether it's, I grew up in St. Louis. So some of the things that I crave, like Emo's pizza, most people are going to be like, huh, what's Emo's? Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's that sort of thing or, um, what I crave intuitively sometimes is based on, uh, sort of memory eating and like the things that I crave cause I miss my grandma. Totally. Like that's going to be so different than what someone else craves when they miss their grandma. So it's intuitive eating has the same principles, but it looks so different in practice for all people. So sometimes I see people and their intuitive eating journey leads them out of the country, leads them to Italy or, or, or France or something. I can't relate to that right now. I have not traveled to that side of the world, but that's interesting that that's, that's their life and that's what they're doing. I'm like, Oh, that's really cool. But my intuitive eating might lead me down the street to, to a local taco shop. Cause I'm, again, I'm in Texas, so we got tacos everywhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. So it's highly dependent on your location, your culture, your family values. Like 
is your family from your country of origin or, or like where you live right now, or are they from somewhere else? And you, as you explore your relationship with food, it might end up looking very different than someone else's exploring their relationship with food and their culture and their grandma. Like you said, I love that. Um, I have certain things I, I eat and think of my grandma too. So yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we talk about race, or ethnicity, it's a really, it can be like a really sensitive topic. And I, I try really, really hard to keep a, an open mind and to, you know, continually look for where I might fall short and where I might be, do better to be a bit more sensitive. So tell us about like, what's, what's it like for you to be absorbing these messages online as you're working on developing your own, you know, sense of how do I want to approach this and, and what resonates for me and what doesn't? Is there something that you see sort of the intuitive eating space as a weakness as far as something that we, and I use the word we, even though I have to just say, like, I think we all feel like outsiders sometimes too in this, in this yeah. space. It's really hard to be like, oh yeah, I'm totally in, <laughs> you know, I'm totally accepted. Um, and I'm sure that there are more and more layers there when you add on, wait a minute, I don't look like the people in this space too. So I, I don't want to say, oh yeah, I'm the same as, as you. I feel like an outsider. But I anyway, what I'm trying to say is it's really it's really important to me to continually learn how I might be able to be more sensitive, communicate better, um, and with more um, sensitivity and even step away from communicating and make space for other people as that's necessary as well. So any feedback that you have just sort of in general as you observe the the space online and kind of see, oh, that could do, we could do better there. What are your thoughts? I think currently my thing is just the display of different bodies. I think it's always been very interesting to me of like, I, for probably the better part of the last two years, I've made a very active choice to not have bodies on my Instagram. And that's only recently changed where now I have bodies, but they have to be diverse in many different ways. Because what was happening is I was seeing the same type of body over and over and over again. And so I found myself comparing myself to that particular body type. And I was like, okay, this isn't helpful. So I removed the bodies for a while. And when I say bodies, I mean, obviously I'm following people, but I don't see their physical body. So that's like them not posting before and after pictures, gym selfies, things like that. Like I made an active choice to remove those types of uh, content from my Instagram. And then as I've been adding it back, it's been a very body acceptance, fat liberation, fat acceptance spectrum of there's a whole different array of body types with different abilities, different uh, gender identifications, different colors, just all kinds. It just, they look so different that it's been very helpful to remember like, oh yeah, bodies exist like that. Not that I don't see them in my everyday life, but once you see them, yes, in my everyday life, but also on the internet, it makes it really neutral. And that, oh yes, these people exist, cool. And I can keep going on about my life instead of it being this stark contrast of, I'm on the internet and everybody looks exactly the same. So why, when I look out in the real world, does everybody look different? Mm, Totally. Totally. And what you're seeing on the internet is not always or very often even real, right? Like people are manipulating their photos. <laughs> Go ahead. It's a highlight reel that has been facetuned. Totally. To the heavens, like. <laughs> yeah. So I love that. So you, you're talking a lot about diversifying your space online. And, you know, you're talking a lot about kind of the way we appear. And I think that that's a super important thing that I've also done as well, like just really taking a look at your feed and getting more particular about who you're following, who you're learning from. Um, And then I think also what I'm hearing too is like, I think we, we, as professionals, we can get caught up into this mindset of, oh, well, I'm the one that knows about this. And uh, I'm going to follow only other professionals who also know about this stuff or, or who are teaching about this stuff. But I think part of diversifying our online space is like learning from, you know, the the uneducated person in nutrition who's talking about their own experience or the activist or the person over here or the people from maybe different walks of life, different education levels, different socioeconomic status, like in addition mm-hmm. to race and ethnicity and ability and gender and all the other things you said, maybe also just like looking at everyone as if they have something to teach us and something to offer. Mm-hmm. I've done, I've recently been adding more activists to my sphere. And I've also added this, like I, I call it my outdoor section, 
Um, Cause I'm thinking of like, as I'm scrolling down my feed, what do I want to be in there? What do I value and what I want to see come at me? And so I've added these sort of outdoorsy people that that's something I want to do, but I first had to see myself in that environment, people who look like me. So I've been adding this sort of sprinkling of those kind of people, of activists, of people in completely different um, realms of the world than I'm in, people who are food scientists or people who are interested in food law or food systems in general. How does something get from the farm to your table? Been following doctors and just regular people who are doing regular life while they're intuitive eating and their experience, people who maybe aren't in America. I've learned so much from regular people living a regular life because granted, we're all regular people here. Yes, true. (laughs) Um, People who don't have some sort of credential attached to their their name. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, our spaces, we can learn so much when we kind of get out of the echo chamber and kind of more into the practical down to earth. Okay, what does this look, look like for real people, right? Yeah, and I think that helps other people when you see, for instance, um, someone talking about intuitively eating tamales. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's a thing. You're right. I don't intuitively eat don't intuitively eat tamales, but other people might. Right. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So, talk about the in person application of this for you. What does this look like? And this might not be so different from the third thing I said earlier, but I'm just curious, like when you look around and you see, oh gosh, my friends all look the same and we're all think the same or very similarly, what does it look like to diversify your learning circle in real life? For me, that's been making sure my friends aren't dietitians because that happens where sometimes people, all their friends are dietitians. Um, but it's also, I've had the unique privilege of living several different places within the United States. And so it's having friends who grew up differently than me. I grew up in the middle of a city. And so having friends who grew up in a rural environment who were homeschooled, I went to just regular old public school, got a public school education. And so seeing how they view the world based on, um, their education, which was fostered in their home versus I got a a standardized education that came from a public school or seeing how they enjoy quiet time because they grew up in the middle of the country where their neighbor was a couple miles to the left or several miles to the right, which is completely different than how I grew up where I could throw a rock at my neighbor's house and probably break their window. And so, (laughs) I I mean, the the houses are close together. And so does that inform their view of the world? How, how has it been um, having friends who grew up in the American South when I grew up in the Midwest? And how does that impact the way that we see things? People who love to be outdoors, people who like to, I have a friend who does carpentry for fun. And I'm like, yeah, girl, do that. And how, like, just seeing that and how that impacts her life and the things that she loves to do, or she's recently taken up axe throwing. Never even would have thought about it, but I'm like, yeah, like to have that sort of diversity of just thought and ways that people grew up, the things that they're doing, having friends who aren't in the same field as you. Yeah. And that's been it's been really fun to see that like grow and change as I've gotten older because we might be doing different things and living completely different lives. We can come back to the, like the things that drew us together in the first place, but the things that like they've taught me so much just because they've lived a different life than I have. For sure. And it sounds like on a practical level, at least maybe I'll, I'll say what I'm hearing and then you tell me if, if this resonates for you too, but kind of noticing it come up for you, this, maybe this natural tendency we have to sort of, we meet new people and we're kind of getting to know them. And in our heads, we're sort of saying, oh yeah, we're the same on this. We're different on this, like kind of trying to decide how compatible we are and maybe noticing what comes up and saying, you know what, like just because she just, she thinks about it this way, or she's from that part of the country or whatever it might be kind of noticing that quote, incompatibility and, and leaning into it rather than being like, well, then that just means automatically we can't connect. Right. Yeah, no, the incompatibility is actually the space where all the growth comes from. Totally. We're, we're yeah. hanging out. We're agreeing on everything. There's no conversation to be had. It's an echo chamber. We're just, we're just nodding our heads. We're like, yeah, yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. As opposed to, like, True. there's no conversation. As opposed to having, like, real conversations. And I'm in my head, I'm, like, envisioning, because I have sleepovers with my friends still at this age. And so we might be, like, laying in the bed, and we're having these really deep, intellectual, sometimes spiritual, theoretical conversations. And we might not agree, but we still are friends afterwards. And it's like, well, what did I learn from that? What is their viewpoint? And 
how can I, even if I don't necessarily agree with that, how can I find the truth in that? How can I say, well, that's how they see the world and know that other people probably see the same, the world the same way they do. Yeah. Yeah. And how can I take that with me to be a better human, you know, because of what I, what my friend has taught me here or what this disagreement kind of led to in terms of my own process of, of maturing and learning and growing and becoming better. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. I just think that our world needs so much more of that. I love that this is sort of when I reached out saying, what do you love to talk about? I, that's so, this is so timely and important. We need more ability and skill and comfort with the discomfort of disagreeing or not seeing the world the same way or not being the same people. I love that. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely, definitely needed in the time that we're currently in, but I think it's such a good skill to have. Just, I'm speaking as a human, but also as a clinician, like my ability to sit in discomfort with someone else, because you're going to sit in discomfort with other people Mm -hmm. and to sit there and know that I don't always have to say anything. It's just me sitting there with you in this discomfort and knowing that I can't fix it for you. I can't snap my fingers and poof, it's gone. But, but being able to sit there and know that, okay, how can I, first sit in this discomfort and then to learn from it. How can I learn from whatever is going on currently and take that to other people? Like the things that I may be doing in sessions with my clients, how do I learn from their own lived experience and then bring it to the people and say, Hey guys, like this is recently a theme I've been seeing. Let's talk about it. And knowing that someone else somewhere else can relate to that. I share personal things on my Instagram all the time of like, this is where I'm going. This is where, like, this is where I'm at. And to see the response of like people being like, Oh, you're so right. Like I had that same experience or like when I get DMS of like, man, I thought I was the only one. And I'm like, no, man, we're all out here. We're doing this. Like I get you. I see you. And just to have that be that sort of the things that make us feel the most, I don't want to say out, but the most cast out are probably the things that are going to make us feel the most brought in. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So true. I love it. That's so important. And I think the the talking about the online space versus the in real life space, like where do you find more of that ability to kind of bridge that gap and really sit with with the discomfort of not agreeing? Do you find that's easy to do online or more difficult? Or I'm interested to know what your experience been has been there. I think they all both bring their own unique challenges of like and nothing is ever gone on the internet. And so I'm very careful to not just like rant about everything because it's not going to go anywhere. If I post it on the internet, it's there forever. And I I know that because I've been on the internet for a while now. And so it's not always um, sort of lashing out at things that I don't agree with or trying to first say, well, why do they, why, what is their thought, thought, thought process behind that? And sort of Sometimes doing a little deep dive on someone saying, well, obviously it makes sense that they're going to come to that conclusion. Look at their history. And before just like jumping down their throat and instead saying like, I don't need to respond to this. And I think the the best advice I ever got was from ironically a comedian and his advice was not to argue with people intent on misunderstanding you like that don't have the same understanding of a topic as you do. Yeah. That's great advice. I know. And with that, I was like, Oh, well this, it became so easy of like, this is the internet. And you get, if it's Twitter, you get like 240 characters. Like I'm not arguing with you in 240 characters. Like It's just not worth my time. It's not worth my energy. I'm going to keep putting my message out. And if you don't agree with it, that's fine. That's your choice, but I don't have to argue with you about it. Or if, when other people put their message out, there's no need for me to go into their comment section and be like, you're wrong. I don't agree with you. If you're intent on misunderstanding what I have going on. Yeah. And it sounds like this really hits on what you were saying earlier. It's like, in the in real life situations, you have this kind of underlying trust and you have this like kind of bond somewhat that you can work with in the disagreement, but online there, there isn't that there yet necessarily. Right. So, I mean, you might have a friend online who, you know, in real life or who you're really close to online and you might reach out saying, Hey, that post was really confusing. Or I tell me more about what you're saying there because I'm not understanding it. And you might kind of reach out with that type of comment if you already have this sort of trust and this bond, but you're right. If it's this intent on misunderstanding you, then what's the point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've done that before of like reaching out to someone and be like, Hey, so you put this, but then you use those hashtags. So which of them is it? 
Mm, yeah. <laughs> which is fine because you can't be in both boats. You can only be in one boat. So it's that kind of conversation versus we have real true investment in our, our relationships in real life. The people that I'm friends with, the people that I do life with are people that I love and care about deeply. And I on no level mean to hurt them, but I'm also trying to understand them as a person. So I'm going to be a lot more careful with the words that I use and, and really take time to try to listen to where they're coming from. Whereas on the internet, you're just there to talk. You're just there to listen, to say whatever it is you have to say. I'm not saying this is a, a general, like a rule of thumb for the internet, but more often than not, people are just, they're there to talk their own talk and they want to hear their own voice. And so not they're not always listening. They're not listening with the intent of listening as opposed to listening with the intent of responding. Mm, yeah, such a good point. I'm so interested to know, not to switch gears too much, but you started off by sharing about why you became a dietitian, that it was uh, sort of inspired by your family and you've always had this sort of medical scientific mind, it sounds like. And mm-hmm. kind of as you've become more well-versed in the intuitive eating space and in the health at every size uh, rhetoric and philosophy, it, how has that been as you've kind of brought that back to even just like in your personal life, your family members, what's, what's that been like for them to hear that? What's that been like for you to share that? Is there anything interesting there? Honestly, those worlds are really separate. Okay. Only because I know they're not ready. Mm, okay. And it's knowing when someone isn't ready to hear something and like kind of taking that step back and being like, okay, they're not ready. So let's say, for instance, sometimes my family members will call me. I'm now the resident dietitian. Mm-hmm. So they'll call me and ask me questions about nutrition. And I know which family member is going to take my advice and which one is calling just to hear me talk, only to do what they're going to do. Yes. And so it's knowing the difference between those two. <laughs> yeah. That is very important. Yeah. Well, and how do you know they're ready or not ready? Like, just let's just talk in general, maybe not necessarily specifically about your family, but that's a good point. I think a lot of listeners who, people who are trying to dive into this content will really relate to you when you say that, oh, yep, some people in my life just aren't ready. What does that mean to you? And how do you know that? And what does that look like? I know someone's ready if they will listen to what I'm saying and then ask follow-up questions to gain more understanding of where I'm coming from. So a great example is if someone calls me and asks me questions about cholesterol and I'm like, Hey, these are the things that have cholesterol. Here's what you can do. And then it's like, okay, so if I'm doing this, is this this time of day, that time of day, that like, if you're asking follow-up questions to get a better understanding of like, how do I put this into practice in my own life? You're probably ready to make a change. You're probably here. You want to listen. You're ready to learn. Your 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 guard is down. If you're calling me and asking me a question, or we're having a conversation, and I bring something up, and your immediate response is, is to tell me no, you're wrong, and then you go on with your points of how I'm I am wrong, you're not ready to listen, and that's okay. That's completely fine, and it's knowing that and knowing okay, this is one of those times where I'm not going to engage because you're intent on misunderstanding. Sure. Yeah, and even that happens in. I, I know as a dietitian that happens in my personal life all the time too, where I have to kind of shut off the dietitian side of me and just be like, Hey guys, like we don't need to talk about this all the time. Obviously you kind of know what you're doing and you know, you're doing whatever you think is right. And that's cool. And I don't judge it. Let's connect on a different level when we're hanging out personally. Um, because yeah, like you, you can kind of spend your, your energy in the space of like, no, this is the science. Let me explain it to you. And it's like, well, maybe we can just kind of not be dietitians in our personal life. Is that how you feel? Yeah. Otherwise, I'd be a dietitian all the time. And before I'm ever a dietitian, I'm Christina. And so yeah, for sure. It's it's sort of taking that's a that's me taking care of myself of saying like I'm not a dietitian. I'm not on the clock. And if you ask anyone that knows me in real life, they will tell you Christina does not care unless you're paying her. And it's not because I don't care, but because. I'm not in that role right now. Right now you're talking to me as a person. I'm not in my dietitian role. Now, if you want me to step into my dietitian role, that's something totally different, but we need to discuss that. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I relate to you so much. Yeah. it's And I'm sure other professionals relate too. Like I'm sure this isn't unique to artwork. I'm sure if you're a graphic designer, you have people you know, asking questions or kind of saying, nope, you're wrong. This is how it's supposed to be. And you're like, okay. Whatever. Or they just want free labor. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They want free labor. And I, hey man, if I work three jobs, obviously I'm not trying to give out free labor. You're not trying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Otherwise, you wouldn't have three jobs, right? No, I would have one. You would have one. Um, no, I love it. That's really cool. So it's really important to know that, you know, once you see this stuff, you see intuitive eating, you learn about diet culture, you learn about how, hey, wait a minute, you don't actually need to hate your body kind of thing. It can it can be, you can have this experience where it's like, okay, I've seen it. Now I can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. Now I want other people to see it the way I see it. And it's really cool what you're saying and really powerful and important for people to recognize that, you know, sometimes people won't be ready and it's not necessarily our job to try to convince them, but instead to just like, you know, connect on other levels. And this might be one of those examples of diversifying your learning circle in terms of your food philosophy, like kind of getting more comfortable with hanging out with people who don't necessarily see things the way that you do. What do you think about that? I think it's fine. Honestly, and it helps me as a professional of like, because at a certain point we get really detached from diet culture and we're not hanging out in it. And if I'm not hanging out in it, I don't know the cool hip new lingo. And so that's true. I don't know. The, yeah, I don't know. The diet cool du jour. Yeah. And so it kind of keeps me, uh, I used to work with a bunch of adolescents and so I was like, oh, it keeps me cool. It keeps me young. But in honesty, it keeps me, it keeps me connected, even if I'm not necessarily living in it. And those are people I care about. So I'm not just going to cut them off because we don't have the same food philosophy. It's just knowing like this is an uncomfortable conversation. And sometimes listening to their conversation and not making them feel bad because on a level they're sharing something with me because they think that I can express compassion or empathy. And so it's okay. It's saying, okay, well, if that's what they're looking for for me, I'm going to give that to them regardless of how I feel about what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. So Christina, you, you talk about, you've talked throughout our time together today, this idea of kind of food insecurity, access to food issues, and intuitive eating. I think that there's been some conversations started around that. How can we do better? How can we, um, you know, not make intuitive eating seem like it's this thing that the minute you want a certain food, you just go out and, and get it? Because that's not practical for most people. That's not in most people's budget. That's not realistic. That's not going to work in most people's schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of issues with that type of rhetoric, but mm-hmm. I'm interested to know what's your opinion and what are your ideas in how we can learn more about the nuances with applying the intuitive eating and food freedom kind of approach and philosophy into uh, the, the spaces where food insecurity might be an issue. Mm-hmm. I think the number one thing there for me has really been neutralizing things that we've, um, even as dietitians or health professionals, have deemed not healthy. So we can do all the work around saying, like, getting rid of the morality around food. But if you're only showing one type of food and not necessarily showing, like, canned food or frozen food um, or your trip down through a drive through or something like that, I think that that still kind of alienates people because there are people or entire communities that only have access to canned food. And so if that's all they have access to, but they still feel like they're doing something quote wrong for purchasing that because it's not fresh or frozen, then there's still room to have more food freedom. And so it's having those conversations around that of like, I shared on my Instagram, like, I don't care if all you have access to is a a canned vegetable. Like if that's what you have, that's what you have. And I'm not going to judge you. Hey, have your canned vegetables. Just make sure you like them. If it's green beans and you like green beans, cool. If you don't like green beans, you don't have to get the green beans. Right. And there's nothing wrong with canned, frozen, et cetera. That's, That's great. Even for, even for people who might, you know, have more access to food like there we don't need to feel inordinate amounts of guilt when we or any guilt at all when we you know choose canned or frozen foods mm-hmm. it's and it's still morality. sometimes it's even the convenience factor of it sure I remember there's a point of like feeling really guilty because I wasn't cooking everything from scratch or like no I'm tired I don't have time for it even if I did that's not what I want to use my time for I want to eat but I don't want to spend an hour trying to do it and so it's saying like, yeah, sure, if you want to have a canned version of that because it's it's a convenience factor for you, then that's your value in life. Because I do a lot of work with my clients around value of like, what are your values and how do you let those inform the decisions you're making? My value is to spend time with people or to create boundaries around my rest. And so if I'm spending an hour making my dinner, that's not a good, it's not responding to my value around boundaries around rest. Yeah, I completely agree. That values work. Ultimately, we want food to fit into our values, not the other way around, right? We don't want to create values around 
I mean, it, we can create values around food, but we don't want to like have food be so important that we uh, kind of let our neglect our values because then mm-hmm. we're not heading the direction we want to be going in life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of creates this sort of stagnant place where we can't really get where we're going because we're we're stuck in like, well, this is what I I feel like I can't make that decision or this decision. I feel like I can't do something until this or I can't do that until that. So it's sort of making sure that whatever I'm doing is lined up with my ultimate goal of what I'm trying to accomplish in this lifetime. And so I think it's, it's important to have that conversation around all food is neutral, including food that is fried or whatever, like all food is neutral, all of it, every single, every single type of food is neutral. But then I think also there's the, um, the conversation around just budgeting and showing someone using a coupon that I'm sure that could go a long way. If, you were like, hey, I used a coupon to get this thing. And it's not necessarily a coupon for some brand food item that still has a sort of health halo around it. I'm thinking of a particular pasta company, but like just using a coupon to get your, I don't know, bread or something. Just using a coupon in general of like, hey, I couponed to get my food in order to save money because I wanted to save money or I needed to. Or having the conversation around, Um, food banks, because people go to food banks, people utilize them, or having the conversation around, I can't go to the grocery store multiple times a week. I literally can only go once a week or once every other week. And what does that look like? What does it look like to be on food stamps, to receive government assistance to get your food? How do they express food freedom? Yeah. And another thing that's popping up for me is, you know, a lot of people learn about intuitive eating and tend to kind of turn it into the hunger and fullness diet, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. you eat when you're perfectly hungry and you stop when you're perfectly full as if that's even like a real... What even is that? Right. No, exactly. That's my question too. But then at the same time, I think of folks who are grappling with food insecurity that's just like driving more of like a, a like a nail into it for them like how painful for them to feel like well I'm failing at honoring my hunger because I actually don't have access to this food and I personally really like to take a big huge step back and and remember that intuitive eating is a framework to help us find an approach to food like you said so beautifully that's that's aligned with our values and that helps us live our lives and help us engage in what's important to us. And if any one part of intuitive eating is not accessible to you, or it doesn't make sense to you, or it doesn't work in your particular life situation, um, that it has to be okay to individualize it to figure out what's going to be best for me. So, you know, for me, I can't just eat every single time I feel, um, like a craving or a tinge of hunger. I have a schedule. I have a life. I have times where I can eat and times where I can't eat. And so I find that having a bit of structure around food is really helpful. So that's just an example in in my life. Now, in in our conversation we're having here about food insecurity, like I just want to be really sensitive to like this this is a framework to help us find peace with food, but it doesn't need to be this militant checklist. You're either doing this right or you're doing it wrong, right? Yeah, I, there is no right or wrong here other than turning it into another diet, but there it's I like to think of it intuitive eating as sort of this like it is it helps you make these internal decisions, right, of of what it is that you want and need based on your current environment. Yes. It's not based on the environment you're thinking about in the future. It's not based on, you know, a sunshine and rainbows land because we don't live there. We live in reality. And so in reality in your current reality What do you have access to and how can you intuitively eat that? Because what you intuitively eat all all the time, every single time is going to come down to what you have access to. Right. Absolutely. I love that. I think that's really important for us to remember. Like it is just a framework for us to use what works and for us to kind of feel comfortable exploring our own values and our own context and kind of figuring out what that looks like for us individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's always a really interesting journey to like to watch other people do that to see like oh I I started out one place but here I landed somewhere else and I think that that's really important to remember is that where you start isn't necessarily where you're going to land at the end and you're going to go through seasons I can say comfortably in this season of my life, my intuitive eating isn't always based on the pleasure principle. It's not always, oh, what sounds good? What's going to be satisfying? It's not ice cream every time I want it. It's like, hey, I just worked a 14 hour shift. How can I fuel up for that? 
How can I refuel to recover from said 14 hour shift? Or, hey, I need to, um, I have this block of time where I don't, I know I'm going to be hungry, but I'm not necessarily going to have time to eat. So how do I put extra food right before that block of time to stay full longer? Perfect. And so sometimes that means going past that point of fullness and that's okay. It's knowing like what's a comfortable past point of fullness versus an uncomfortable past point of fullness and then working from there. And there's going to be times where your, your, your taste buds are going to change. I recently had a craving for mashed potatoes and I really, really, really like there's some trauma around mashed potatoes. And so the fact that I had a craving for mashed potatoes was the wildest thing to me. It was like, what is going on here? <laughs> what? That's so <laughs> and funny. I had the mashed potatoes because I was like, okay, well, let's honor it. And it wasn't very satisfying, not because of said trauma, but because it was kind of underwhelming. I was like, oh, this should have had more salt or I wish the Sounded gravy good was in your head. savory. And so it was yeah. like, okay, if I do this again, how can I make it like that? But then knowing I might never have that craving again. And being okay with that and moving right along and knowing that it's going to change through the seasons. It's going to change as, you know, sometimes our hormones change. It's going to change as you age. Like there's so many things that play into it that it's not going to look the same in every season of your life. And right. it's giving yourself that permission to say, hey, it's going to change and that's okay. Yeah. And and you may be more connected to what sounds good certain at certain phases in your life than others or certain times of the week because you have more downtime versus others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so I love it. You're you're doing such a good job of talking about the importance of context and the importance of just like, you know, having this gentle balance of like, yeah, I want to I want to eat what what sounds good, what I've access to. I want to fuel myself. I want to eat food that connects me to my family and my culture and things that are important to me. And I also don't want any one of those reasons for eating to win out every single time. I have to find like somewhat of a zoomed out if I zoom out on my eating, I want to have somewhat of a balance there um, just so that I can continue to do the important things in life, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about this in a couple hours. Like, I want to kind of, like, move on with my life and figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Unless that meal was exceptional, in which case, yes, but the meal is exceptional now because of the people that I was having the meal with. Yeah, totally. Agree. I love that. Oh, So do you want to plug your podcast a little bit, Christina? Tell us about what you do there and um, – you already actually, I guess you already mentioned that. I forget if we did we talk about that before we started recording or no? I think both, but like, okay, it's called Intuitive Eating for the Culture, and the byline of it is we like our vegetables just not unseasoned. And that came from sort of this like myth that uh, white Americans don't like to season their vegetables. I don't think that that's necessarily true all the time, but sometimes it is a little true, <laughs> and so it. It's knowing that, hey, I might, and this is a conversation I had uh, recently of like, wait a minute, I grew up eating vegetables. So where did this myth come from that black people don't eat vegetables? But it's just, they look so different. Mm -hmm. And so it's, how does this, like, how do, how do I navigate this space of intuitive eating when the face of it doesn't look like me? And how do I come to terms with, oh, well, this is my situation based on where I currently am in the world and how do I navigate this and give myself that food freedom and also navigating haze as someone in a, in a different body than what the face of haze currently is. And I'm saying this based on if you go on like Instagram or something and type in health at every size, like what you're going to find when you click in there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's really important work you're doing and I'm grateful for your voice. And again, I've loved following you. So do you want to talk about kind of where people can find your work, read your blog, listen to the podcast, all of the above? Yes. So you can find me on the internet. So I sometimes hang out there. I am on Instagram and Twitter as encouraging dietitian on Instagram. And then it's encouraging RD, like the RD credential on um, Twitter and then I have a podcast called Intuitive Eating for the Culture, like we mentioned. And I, th I have a website, encouragingdietitian.com. You can pop over there if you want to. I don't blog as much as I used to, but again, I just I don't have time for that right now. Yeah, um, understandable. So, yeah. So most of my efforts these days goes to uh, Instagram and my podcast. Great. Well, I'll post all of those links so that people can find your work and click and get access to all the great stuff you put out there. So is there anything else that we didn't mention that you want to kind of tie up or say one more thing about or? Um, I don't know. I could go on for forever, silly. <laughs> I know. I agree. I can too. Well, thanks so much, Christina, for sharing your thoughts with us and 
for being out there and for communicating these really important messages. I'm really um, grateful for your time and so glad to connect today. Thank you so much for having me. I This has been a really fun conversation to have and I love having it. And like, I love that this is going to be sort of like digitized so that we can like come back to this as like a starting point. Yeah. Yeah. Let's connect again soon. Yeah. Well, I sincerely hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you haven't already, please go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. Thanks again so much for listening and we'll see you soon for another episode.